All right, welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, uh, John Larson. We're here with another fine uh, studio audience at Studio Fist in Your Face in wonderful Salt Lake City. Welcome, everybody. Um, I'm sitting up here solo for the last the last three um, the last three podcasts. Um, this one is one that's um, important to me, and we'll come back to it in a minute. I hope I don't get emotional. Um, we have a we have a full house here tonight, and that's um that means a lot. Um, I looked at the news, and there's no real news, so uh, nothing's going on in the world of Mormonism. But there's stuff going on here with the podcast. I'm happy to report that we've had a lot of generous donors, and we have met our $5,000 goal for funding this studio for the first six months. Thanks, everybody. But um, the actual operational cost of the studio for the year is $10,000, so it's still open, and um, all the money that you donate, if you go to either Whitefields Educational or go to Mormon Expression, and there's a little widget up in the top left hand, and that will allow you to um, to give us a donation there. And all that money is going to fund the studio. I'm really excited about the things that are coming. We're opening this space up, because I can say now it's done, um, for anybody in the community who has a purpose that aligns with Whitefields that is looking for a space to do it, it's here. So, um, I, it's, it's been sort of a dream of mine for a long time. There's, there's these costs. I mean, we're up against, uh, religions that have lots and lots of money. And the fact that we're able to do this this year, I'm really excited about it. And I'm excited about some of the, the classes and opportunities. We've done some fabulous things here over the year, and I've been really, um, pleased to be involved. So I appreciate everybody who's donated. I also want to reiterate and reannounce the fact that the new host has been selected and is being groomed by myself at this time. Um, maybe that's not the right term, uh, <laughs> but um, we're getting ready and uh, we'll announce um, that and the, the, the new team and all that in January. Uh, what I really didn't want um, to happen is that the new launch of the podcast gets muddied up by my leaving, so I wanted to separate those two. So that's my purpose in not talking about it very much. But we are moving forward with that, and um, and um, I'll be taking on a role of um, the executive producer. I'll, I'll I'll stay involved, although not as creatively involved. I really want this individual to sort of own it and take it in a new direction. So uh, keep listening. There's still there's still literally thousands of topics to cover. I have a, a spreadsheet or a, or a document that I started six years ago where I put topic ideas and there's literally hundreds of them still untapped on my, uh, on my list. So we're not going to run out of anything to talk about anytime soon, especially under current management. So, um, the podcast will remain. Um, I am not going away. Of course, um, Whitefields has several podcasts. Um, of course, Mormon expression voices by Katrine, who's here in the front row, um, continues to run. Oh, you have you have some. Well, let's make sure this mic's on. Is it on? Okay. Um, with Christmas coming up, I have had interviews fall through, and it's just a busy time of year. So, if you have a boring Christmas and you want to interview on Voices, let me know, and I'd be happy to meet with you, and we can get your story on Voices. Voices is one of those things that it doesn't create as much 
noise as a Mormon expression. But I get a lot of feedback that it's very impactful for people understanding that they're not alone and that other normal people, you know, leave the church and have similar experiences. So you might not think your experience is that unique or, or that meaningful, but it really does impact a lot of people in maybe healthier ways than Mormon expression does. I don't, I don't, um, it, it, it has been a valuable service and one that has, has touched a lot. So I, I invite everybody, especially if, 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 you know, there's something that uh, about you that's different, then, then come on and share it. Um, uh, the Whitefields owns the Reasonability Podcast. You can check us out at Reasonability Podcast, which is just, um, more about modeling the way people who have been outside of religion for a long time think. Um, especially, uh, I think in the United States today, we get into this bifurcated thinking, Republicans versus Democrats, liberals versus, um, conservatives. And really, uh, I, what I want to do is pick some intelligent people who can show that those models don't necessarily apply. And I know when we when we leave religion, especially a fundamentalist religion like Mormonism, we've been told what to think for so long that sometimes it, it takes a little bit of effort to get your feet underneath you and see other models of thinking. And that, that's what that podcast is about. Um, I'm happy to announce that I have an, I have started my own podcast. It's been in the works for quite some time. Um, by the time you're listening to this, the second one will be out. The first one is on why religion is bad for society in general. And uh, the second one is why religion is bad for the individual. So if you enjoy the way I spin the world and you want to um, stay in touch with that, go over to johnlarsonpodcast.com and then you can find it there. It should be on iTunes soon. And I apologize about the name. I spent eight months trying to come up with a name for the podcast and I just couldn't do it. I, that's why I don't work in marketing. I just couldn't come up with a name. So that's the name. I apologize. All right. Um, oh. I will be appearing at Sunstone um, in Salt Lake City on the 20th of December. There is a conference aimed at the topic of being single um, in the um, Mormon universe. Um, so I'm speaking there. And then at the end of January, I think January 28th, Sunstone has a conference in San Diego um, where they're having um, some fantastic speakers who will be giving their reaction to the essays, the um, 12 or 11 essays the church has put out. And I will be appearing there at that. So if you want to see me, um, come down to San Diego at the end of January, or um, you can come out to Sunstone um, in Salt Lake City. I'm not sure where it's at. You'd have to check their website, Some, somewhere around here. All right. Shall we begin? When I started the podcast um, several years ago, one of the ideas, one of the reasons I started it is I had, I had realized as I sort of processed my way out the church I read a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, and when I first started, I would only read source material. And that's some fucking weird shit, by the way. Yeah, go find it if you can and, and, and read as much. But it was just this amazing world, kind of like appearing, peering through a microscope for the first time. And you see this world that you didn't even know existed. And as I read and read and read and cross-referenced and read in other resources and read other journals, I started realizing just how complicated um, it was to understand really what was going on there. That that the the Mormonism, because the church has obfuscated it and purposefully not educated people in the reality of Mormonism, it makes it very difficult for especially adults who've grown up under that indoctrination their whole life to even understand it, because they've been specifically trained not to. So we have that issue. 
And that, that was sort of a, a thought that got planted in my mind that somebody asked me, you know, what's the smoking gun? What, what shows that the church isn't true? And I realized that there wasn't any one thing. It was more the weight of the entire, um, whatever. I'm out of a metaphor. The whole elephant of, of, of the, of the, of the religion. And I've used, I've used the example before, like looking at a brick wall with a flashlight. And you look and say, this brick wall is really, really strong. It's really sturdy. So I, I trust this brick wall. My house is built on this brick wall. It's really sturdy. But you take a flashlight and you shine it on one of the bricks and you see, oh, this brick is cracked and, and it's, it's crumbling in my hand. But, but the rest of the wall is, is okay. And then you take the flashlight and shine it on another brick and you find the same problem. And then another brick and another brick and another brick. And pretty soon you realize that, my God, there's problems everywhere. Every brick has a crack in it. And this wall, this, this whole thing can come tumbling down, but you can't see it by stepping back because the wall looks good from a distance. It looks like it's holding the building up. Um, and, and that was the problem. The other problem we face is religions evolve socially. And they evolve to live in the space where they cannot be proven wrong. Once they walk into the space where they can be proven wrong, they are, and then they're discarded. There have been literally tens of thousands of religions in, you know, in the last 10,000 years. Most of them eventually, even if they have a lot of power at the time, they collapse underneath their own weight and people realize that the religion itself does not have value. But for the people who are inside it at the time, it, it, it exists in such a way that it's not verifiable. It's not falsifiable to use Karl Popper's term. So you, 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 the religion itself, Mormonism in particular, has evolved in such a way to stay clear of being able to show, to point something at it and say, look, this is wrong. That being said, I have ten ways. Now, I started the list with seven. I was tired of the magic number ten. I wanted the magic number seven. But um, I, I read it this yesterday, and I had nine on there, and then the tenth dawned on me, and I thought, oh, there, there it is, a, a top ten list again. Um, of how we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Mormonism is not true. Some of these are really sad. Um, and they're even hard to talk about. But this is because, because I was there. I, I bought into all this stuff, right? I believed it. Um, pe people have said, you know, before they, sometimes people talk shit about me and, and, and one of the things they say is that, you know, I was never really a believer, never really bought into it. I did. And whenever I am making fun of the church or church members in particular, I'm always thinking about myself. I'm always, Mormon expression, believe it or not, has really been a dialogue between John circa 1996 and John today. And I can see the misconceptions I had, and I can see the constructions that I put in place. And I am ashamed to admit that I bought into this list. So here they are, how we know the church isn't true. Number one, Mormonism is based on the idea of the supremacy of the white race. It's a terrible, terrible thing, and something that has been a legacy of European and American history for a long time, something we like to get rid of. But it's there, and it's there in black and white. It's in the Book of Mormon, it's in the Pearl of Great Price, and you'll find that there are tons of Mormons who will still whisper it to you if you get them in the right place. The idea, briefly, in the, in the Book of Mormon is that there was a branch between two people, 
Some of them chose wickedness, some of them chose righteousness, and then God cursed the wicked people with dark skin. And it says in the book they did this to make them ugly and loathsome, and so that the, the white people wouldn't be attracted to the dark people. It is a bitterly corrupt idea, and it's inextricably baked into Mormonism. It is there, and it is still there. And you have a second line. So you have the, 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 the Nephite-Lamanite dichotomy in the Book of Mormon. But you also have, in the Pearl of Great Price in Doctrine and Covenants, this idea of the original curse, that Cain slayed his brother, and that Cain was, was cursed with the skin of darkness. And this was the sign of the curse, and was justification given for the fact that, that um, those of African descent were denied full participation in Mormonism. And I was ranting about this the other week, and I'll say it again. The church has pulled a slick one over everybody's eyes because they keep saying blacks in the priesthood. Don't buy into it because those of African descent were denied much more than the priesthood. And they were systematically discriminated against and they were systematically taught themselves and the, the white children of Mormons were taught that these folks were inferior. And the belief of superiority still happens in the seminaries today. They still teach the youth that they are the select and elect people of the universe, God's chosen people. And whenever you hear the fucking word chosen, you run the other direction as fast as you can. And this is still there in Mormonism today. It has not been removed. And, and some of the liberals talk 1978 like we suddenly reversed everything. We reversed a particular practice, but we did not reverse the discrimination and the racism and the idea that the white people are superior and that everybody will turn white because white is some kind of better state. That is fundamental to Mormonism and, and you can't, you can't pull it out. It's corrupt. And any religion that believes such things is not right. It's not good. Second idea, American exceptionalism. American exceptionalism is the idea that America and Americans and American government and the American land is better than every other place in the world. And this belief is still common in the church. It is a despicable, deplorable idea that has led to colonialism and, and um, imperialism on an American basis. Now, when I went to school, we would talk about those goddamn imperialistic colonial Europeans and just ignore the fact that America was doing the same thing. If you study the history of what America was doing, especially post-World War II in South America, it's, de it's despicable. It's deplorable. And what Mormonism has done is taken that idea, which is related to the first idea, that we are somehow better and superior to everybody else, and made it doctrinal. And one of the reasons that the church is flagging in the world is because of that. Every missionary knows, or people should know, that the main source of converts, besides those who have like low IQ or people who are, have special needs, is, is Amerophiles. Now, I, I'm not saying that low IQ people necessarily join the church, but you know that missionaries prey on weak populations. They always have and they always will. But the, the, the so-called so golden contacts are Amerophiles. They're people who, missionaries will tell you this, that the members love speaking English to them, that they have some kind of connection. And the reason is because Mormonism is so baked into American patriarch bullshit that it's, that it's, it's just laughable. You can look at conference reports from, they're getting a little bit better, like they're kind of waking up to this a little bit. Oh, but American flags and all this sort of hoo-ha are all over in, in the, in the doctrine. And, and the idea is flat out wrong. America is not special. 
in terms of being morally superior. We have a lot more money. We have a lot more wealth. But America has done its fair share of, of terrible things in the world. And the, if anything, long view of history shows is that empires rise and empires fall. That America is not going to stay on the top forever. And thank God for that. That, that hopefully the torch will be pa- passed off to a more enlightened um, society. And then all together, the world, the globe um, progresses. But this idea that, that America is super duper special. And we're super duper special for being born here. And we're superior to the rest of the world because God put us here because this is the place. That is an antithesis to things I hold sacred. The next um, idea, the corrupt idea baked into Mormonism, is that wealth is a reward for righteousness. This is a fundamental principle of Mormonism. And it's really played out in, in, the, in the Book of Mormon. Um, it plays out in the way that leaders are selected. It plays out in the values that we have, the way Mormons vote, the way that the Mormon um, leadership tries to push the political agenda around. Um, it's, it's just everywhere. Look at the temples. Um, they, they import, and they'll brag about this. If you go to a temple, they import the finest, rarest woods and stones from around the world. They light those things up like they're fucking, like landing a B-17 on them. I don't know, like, like you, they're blinding. Like, and you hear people driving up, driving up I-5 in San Diego or in DC on the belt, and they pop up and like, oh my God, what is that? Um, and, and that's, that is ostentatious display, pure and simple. And what's fascinating is that Mormons believe, this is, this is the weirdest thing. Mormons believe that if other people see their wealth, that they will immediately convert to Mormonism. Think about the whole open house. They don't let you say a word in those open houses. You're just supposed to walk around and say, that's some fine craftsmanship. This must be the one and only true church, right? Um, and, and, and this idea comes everywhere. If you look at stakes, you look at wards, I guarantee you the leadership will be disproportionately selected from the wealthier neighborhoods that, that, that we still parade around people who are monetarily successful. Um, that, that those people like Steve Young, you know, are, are model Mormons, right? When you, when you go on the parade, the circuit of speakers, it's, it's oftentimes people like David Archuleta and people who show some sense of success and worldly, um, um, gain that the church parades out. They don't say, look at these wonderful scholars we have, right? They, 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 it's all about the wealth. Um, and I think we've covered it before in the podcast. The next one is really, really heartbreaking, and it's related to the one I just talked about. In Mormon theology, women and children are possessions. They are something that can be given. They're something that can be taken away. They're something that related to number three, because what wealth is not just in this world. You, you read the, the, the descriptions of heaven. It's roads paid with gold. Gold's soft. Why the hell would you want to do that? Um, it, it, it is mansions. It is, it is all framed in this sort of 19th century view of basically European aristocrats, right? They, they, they would look and say, well, that's what we want. That's our heaven. 
And, and unfortunately, in all the rhetoric and all the dialogue and the way women have been treated from the foundation is that women are just another form of property. They're another form of currency in the church. And you get into the dark days of the church post the, 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 um, Reformation of 1857 and they literally would take people's wives from them, right? The, the women were free to demand an instant divorce in Mormonism to marry somebody of higher priesthood. Did you all know that? That because women were, were possessions, pure and simple. And they still use that language, and it's still in the temple today. You cannot get into heaven as a woman unless a man pulls you into heaven. That's bullshit, and it's still there. And that sexism is so deep that I think, bless her heart, people like Kate Kelly are misinformed because it is so misogynistic from the foundation that merely handing women the priesthood would not undo that because it's baked into the the whole pattern of reward. Men are rewarded with women in heaven, and that's fucked up. Um, Another important idea that Mormonism is founded on is the authority of the church is absolute and all other religious authorities are an abomination. And that's language I took from God. An abomination. Go look that up in the dictionary. That's not a kind word. And, and when God appeared to Joseph Smith, he called all their creeds an abomination before him. And the rhetoric from conference for years has been anti-Catholic and anti-Protestant and let alone, I mean, flat out racist. Uh, um, um, Brigham Young said that, that, um, all, all the, um, Chinese people would be the servants, you know, would be making the meals in heaven. Like the, 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 the idea that this church stands above all other churches makes it everything the church does that seems ecumenical to be completely a ruse. They fundamentally believe that no one else can speak for God. And that they alone can speak for God. And they can say any fucking ridiculous thing they want. And you do not have any way to question that. Because there is no check and balance. It's absolute. And we can look back and just scoff off the the ridiculousness of people like Brigham Young. And just say, oh, he was a product of his time. But his power was and is absolute. He presides over that university. Which according to um, Gordon Hinckley is the church's single biggest expenditure. How much money they pour into BYU, you have to ask why. And there he is, presiding right over that place. Um, but the idea that everybody else is corrupt, not just misguided, but, but, but just not even in the ballpark, right? Um, this backwoods church in Utah that we all believed in has such a superiority complex. Um, and, and you can see it in the way the BYU professors, not when they're talking to like Jewish scholars, but when they're talking about Jewish scholarship in the BYU classes, well, like they know so much more than the rest of the world. That, that, that arrogance is dripping in so much of what they say internally. And then this duplicitous, um, out game. What happened during the so-called Mormon moment of the last four or five years is that everybody started peering, lifting up the lid and seeing what Mormons were saying to other Mormons. And that's what's, that's what's happened here. Which is why we now have porn sites, um, people in their garments. <laughs> um, th- this one, number, number seven, is, is really fascinating. And um, it's something that needs to be dug into more. I haven't spent enough time on it. But salvation in the Mormon church is had upon rote prayer and rote practice. 
for all of the talk about revelation and everything else, the fundamental things that will get you into heaven are magic words that have to be said in exactly a right way by exactly a right person. And, and the, but what's, what's ironic about this is the church has, has oftentimes criticized, especially the Catholic church for this very thing. And of course, um, Christ, uh, criticizes it in the New Testament, but everything that's really important in the church, the sacrament prayers, the temple prayers, the ordinances, they are all wrote. They are all done by, um, by these ordinances. So that makes salvation, mind you, not something like this internal state, like I have grown and I have progressed. It is something that's handed to people like just, just like a ticket. As a matter of fact, think about it for a minute. It doesn't matter what you do in this world. You could be an, an amazing person. You could have been um, a, a, a saint by all mechanisms, the done perfectly good, the best person that ever lived. But if you died before the church came around or you weren't, didn't have the privilege of being born in Meridian, Idaho, some snot-nosed 12-year-old has to go in the temple and be baptized you for you to get into heaven. Every criticism the church has levied against the Catholic church is null and void given that simple fact. You do not even have to have it happen here on this earth. It can be two random people thousands of years from when you were born that do this act that literally is, is, is da 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 bang. Da 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 bang. They're, they're saying this prayer over and over again, these magic words and dunking people in the water 75 times. Uh, I remember the last time I did it, I was baptizing and we, we did, went through the youth and we did 75 baptisms for each youth. And we prided ourselves on how fast we could get that done. That's what gets you into heaven. That's what this whole fucking world is about, right? Because, because if you think most people who were born died before they were eight, they're into heaven right away, right? And most people will never hear from, never hear the gospel at all. Only a very, very tiny percentage will. And like, even though the church is still growing, like the world population is growing faster. So, so, so it's becoming a smaller amount of people who even have the chance to hear this. I don't know what the figure is, but it's something approaching 99.99% of the people who come this world will never have any idea in this whole life. The most important thing that happens in all the eternities will never have any idea. And that can all be remedied by kids in South Jordan. It's just utter nonsense from a religious perspective. All philosophy, all theology, everything is reduced to these magic words that you don't even have to even know they were there. That's just weird. <laughs> Number eight, the ways we know beyond a shadow of a doubt the church is not true. The system of knowledge, I, I briefly kind of talked about Re Revelation and, and uh, the leadership. The system of knowledge is completely, utterly in opposition to the, the three main or four main systems of knowledge that, that, that we rely on today. The scientific method, statistical analysis, logic, and mathematics. The, Mormonism is opposed to all four of those. By opposed, I mean it, it's, it, they, they, they don't, uh, it can't be reconciled. Um, 
they do not complement those things at all. As a matter of fact, everything that we're finding out in these systems demonstrate that, that the, the knowledge that we gain, quote unquote, knowledge from the church has no basis in, in our, in our learning systems. As a matter of fact, if you look at the church and take all of its pronouncements, all the times it's come up with revelation, how many of those things has it had to back out completely or just say, we have no idea. And, you know, people counter when I say things like the church um, can't can't change on the gay issue. You know, they say, oh, well, 1978, you know, with uh, the African-Americans and 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 polygamy. But the church hasn't changed any of those positions. The church just has to wallow around in this. I don't know. And more and more, if you go talk to your bishop or your state president or whoever they they'll designate somebody as the 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 stake smart guy for you to talk to and what they will say to you is they'll take one of two approaches. They'll either go into this weird thing of epistemology about how we don't know anything. Um, or they will, they will just say it'll all be revealed in the end. Is that really a basis for the way to live your life with, with everything that's going on in this world? We're going to take this big bet on all this crazy shit I was just telling you about and just say, we know it doesn't make any sense, but we're hoping it all works out in, in the end. This is what God chose to reveal and call everything else an abomination. To come to this point in 2014, we're just saying, it seems fucked up to us too, but uh, we're just going to go along with it because that's what mom told us to do. So you take scientific basic things of having a null case, having hypotheses, being able to have evidence. None of this um, um, has any bearing at all in the church. As a matter of fact, any more... We, we're only left with one sort of thing. We, we really have two methods of knowing things in the church. One is authority tells you, be it scripture or prophets or bishops. Authority tells you what to believe, and you either accept it or you don't, and if you don't accept it, you're wrong. And we can find plenty of places the church has published that very thing. Say, you have the gift of discernment or the gift of the Holy Ghost, or, or you're expected to go find out on your own, and by the way, if you find out it's not true, you're wrong. Um, but the other thing that the church relies on, so there's, 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 there's th- this authority. The other is, is repetition. Rote repetition. You're gonna keep saying it over and over and over and over again. I think most people in the modern world would go to a Mormon church and find three-year-olds getting up and saying that they know the church is true to be horrific. And they know that some sort of indoctrination is going on. Something is not right. And I always use the example of a physics department. You wanna find out what the church is doing that's fucked up, just imagine a physics department doing that. Go to your local university and you go to Physics 101 and there's a bunch of three-year-olds getting up telling you how the laws of thermodynamics are true. It's just weird. It's not necessary. It has no meaning. Why would you even do that? Because the laws of thermodynamics should be provable or should be self-evident. You don't have to start when they're wee little kids and start telling them to repeat it over and over and over and over again. And what's the response when you say you have a problem? When you have a question, go back and study your scriptures. Which are, we, we've demonstrated in this podcast, which are nonsense, right? But, and they're boring and they're not even well written, right? But, but you just, you just repeat it over and over again. Say, it must be me. It must be me. This doesn't make any sense to me. I must be fucked up. Something must be wrong with me. Cause that's what they're telling you. I, um, over and over. And you're going to pray day and night and above every meal. And you're just going to keep repeating these things over and over again. Because we know, right, the world has now discovered that that's the best way to learn something. It's just to repeat it over and over and over again until it eventually comes true in your head. All right, we're down to the last two. The church is fucking dangerous. Um, 
with the elements that I've talked about, of authority in particular, there is no check and balance on its power. None whatsoever. Um, and, and this has played out in some really crazy ways. Um, you know, the, the historical instance of, of Ezra Benson being too infirm to sign his name and signing his name, giving the power to the first presidency to sign his name. I mean, the, the order allowing the first presidency to sign the name of the president came not from Ezra Benson. He was infirmed at the time, but from the first presidency, they did a, they did this little coup in the eighties. You can read all about it. It's, it's really fascinating. But that's because the, it, there was no mechanism. There was no check and balance. And, and, um, the probability, the, the interesting thing the church is going to deal with as science, um, um, uh, health wise continues to improve, the probability that any person who makes it to the top is, has the mental capacity to actually lead the church drops precipitously every year. And we've seen this happen quite a bit. Um, in, um, since, since McKay, you know, you had Lee running the church for McKay, but by the time Lee came in, he was infirm. So yet Hinckley and others starting to pick in and like Hinckley basically ran the church for 40 years because we had one infirmed old guy after another, after an old guy take, take the lead. But the important thing is there's no way to, to, to question that. And on a, on a level that impacts us all every day, you send your sons and daughters to talk to a guy behind closed doors who can ask whatever he wants. And there's no way for you to stop him. There is no training for that guy. And there, and there is no, there, there's, 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 there's nothing you can do. The church brags. They brag that if you write a letter to Salt Lake City, they will just send it back to your stake president unopened. It is so right, wrought with clerical abuse that it, it it's it's downright scary on an emotional basis and the stories i've heard in the last five or six years of ecclesiastical abuse are horrific and they're terrible and there's no way to stop it and and we have cases of 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 people that come up in the press about it once a year there will be a case that will come up about some sort of usually sexual ecclesiastical abuse and then the hush money comes and it gets silenced. I've said over and over on this podcast, any woman right now can get a $30,000 check from the church at any time. They just have to, they just have to say, he, he sexually assaulted me behind closed doors and file a case and the church will settle with you. Um, that's where your tithing dollars goes, um, in part. <laughs> I, I've told you about the form um, that the church has about a major religion. It says something like area authority, stake president, bishop, mission president, or other. Like if you if if you're not even those, th- you don't even make it onto the fucking form. Can you imagine? You, you know what the church does all the time? Can you imagine the mess of this system of just taking the richest, most righteous appearing guy and putting him in charge? It, 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 it's an, it's a nightmare. But then you have um, the political influence and all the other stuff that, that the church does. The lawsuits, you know, coffee shops and, and little tiny things that they try to shut down, that they try to control the dialogue. I mean, Curtin and McConkey, the, the law firm here in Salt Lake City, which they planted right, right in City Creek, right, um, is, is, is this sort of hushed joke. But you can talk to powerful attorneys in the city, and I have, and the, the church has uh, this underground political power. And it is frightening from time to time. Now, before y'all panic, the church is also incompetent. 
So that kind of counteracts all their, all their power because they have too many old men, old white men running things and they just fuck everything up. But, um, but especially with the untrained clergy, run away as fast as you can. Do not subject your children to that. Um, because the damage that's done through perverting and distorting sexuality in particular, because sexuality is the way that the church uses to control people. And unfortunately, the legacy of Joseph Smith's polygamy is not polygamy. It's that Mormonism has, has an, um, absurdly high obsession with secret sex and that sex is shameful and that our bodies are shameful and everything is done in the dark. You got to turn the lights on sometime. You want to do it right. And, um, and the church, that's the legacy of Joseph Smith, right? Um, and it still plays out today that it's, it's how they control people and how they shame people and how, and how people are manipulated that I'm not suggesting that most bishops will, you know, try to, um, touch or molest people in those meetings. But some of the questions they ask and the shame cycles they start in early and the self doubt and the feeling that you're evil because you have normal sexual urges creates a broken people that can be manipulated. And that's what it's all about. It's about creating these minions of people who have to rely on the church. It's the same abuse cycle that, that abusive, um, um, spouses and, and people in relationship use. They tell people they're broken. They're broken. They're broken. You have to have me. No one else will love you. No one will take care of you. And I only hurt you because I have to. It's straight out of a textbook. And that's exactly what the church is doing. It's fucking dangerous. Last week, I went on a rant about liberals in the, in the church, and number 10 sort of relates to that. In a lot of ways, this is the most dangerous thing of why we know that the church is not true. Number 10 is that most Mormons know everything I just told you, and they believe it anyway. Most Mormons know that they're, they're in a misogynistic, white supremacist church. They know that. They believe it. They will whisper it when they know no one's listening. They know the, the potential for abuse of authority. They know the claims the, of, of special knowledge. They know that they go and teach at the university, but go to church and will claim to be able to read the minds of, of, of teenagers. They, they know all this stuff and they still choose to believe it. This is where the liberals, my friends, the liberals get confused is they think that if you go and just hand people a bunch of episodes of Mormon expression, that they will listen to it and the light will come on. For most Mormons, the light's already on. They know this shit and they believe anyway. And that's why it's dangerous. Now, you guys aren't those people. You and me, we're all right. Those other. <laughs> but, but, but th this is, this is the, the ex-Mormon obsession about, if you go onto ex-Mormon boards about once a month, somebody comes on and says, the general authorities have have to not believe. No, what's scarier is they do believe. And, and that's what's fucked up. Because they can look in the sight of everything we see, sociological evidence, scientific evidence, flat out evidence of abuse. Can you, because we see these stories bubble up from time to time of what happens out there. They're seeing those reports flat on. What's really scary is they know how many kids have been molested by seminary teachers. Um, hell, I can think of two cases that I knew about when I was in high school where a seminary teacher impregnated a student 
That's just that I knew about personally. Extrapolate that to the whole church. And these guys have all those numbers. When I talk about ecclesiastical abuse, they know that. These guys are not dummies. They know that the, what they're saying about blind acceptance to authority has been historically um, terrible for human, humankind and contradicts what we know about learning and science. They know that, but they do it anyway. And they do it because they believe. That's scary. <laughs> and and um, that's a reason that we know the church is not true. Let me explain. It's not just a big game. They're, they're, they're playing for reals, right? Because if it's a big game, like some liberals will try to play it out. Oh, this is just sort of a culture. These are myths. This is like Santa Claus. It just helps us understand things, but nobody really believes it. Then it seems fairly harmless, but that's not the case. So when we look at the church by our modern sense of ethics and morality, we see that the church is immoral. Now, to my last point, the biggest apologetic defense to everything I've said would and will be, well, that's God's way. That, that you're, you're putting your modern spin on it by saying that racism is, is, is bad. They would say God's ways are not man's ways. God can love white people more than he loves anybody else, and that's okay. And that's to my point number 10. The fact that true believers, and there's a lot more of them than we give credit for, would read through my nine and maybe acknowledge them to some extent by saying, this is no, this is no proof that the church is not true at all. The church remains true. And, and they would even look at some things on my list like American exceptionalism saying, well, yeah, America, fuck yeah. They would say that and, and, and they, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't dent their testimony. And it's true. I am imposing a modern ethic. Onto the church. And, and these are my values. And that's why these things are abhorrent to me. The, the racism, the idea of wealth as a sign of righteousness, the American exceptionalism, I, the, 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 the weird concepts of modern revelation and, and, and authority above everything else, um, scream out terribly to my soul as dangerous things. And I dare say when Mormons see them played out and given as attributes to other organizations, like, I don't know, the communists, they'll go, they'll go nuts, right? But when, when they see these exact same things happen here, they just, ex they just accept them. And, and I think if you explained, if, 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 if you took and said, oh, look, there's this government down in like, in like, um, you know, out, outside the Congo and here's everything they do. And you just explain the church to them. They'd be like, oh, it's a terrible place, right? Um, but that, there it is. The church is bad um and that's a hard thing to stomach because i was in it for a long time and i i bought into it and i was fair i think i was fairly educated and enlightened but some of the residual that that residual sort of racism tainted my view of the world at the time that when i was a member of the church um i would have very well played out the problems that say are happening in Africa as this play of inferior people who don't have the superior way of thinking. 
and who don't have the gospel and don't have the authority and don't have the structures that we do. And that's why they're having those things. That that racism and that cultural superiority would have manifested itself in, in, in many ways like that. The church, um, is fascinating and it will be endlessly fascinating for a long time. The church is fascinating in part because it survived. A lot of religions spawned out of that period. Um, some of them really funky. The Oneida Brethren, um, the, the, who, who had a lot of intercourse. That's why I know about those guys. Um, <laughs> but a lot of them have died out, right? But Mormonism survived. I think Mormonism is worthy to ask the question, how does this whole thing work? And that's why I still have the question, what is going on with humankind? Why does this work so well when it's so blatantly and patently false? And not only false, it's dangerous. It's yucky. This theology represents the worst of, of what's happened in America over the last 200 years, you know, and, and, and it's telling that theologically and philosophically, Mormonism has almost always been on the wrong side of everything that's happened in the United States. Um, and it will continue to be that way. They'll continue to embarrass themselves. But what's really frightening, and this goes to my point number 10, and this is what I was harping on last week, is the fact that the church um, is openly um, homophobic does not bother most Mormons. Um, and the fact that they've got books by Bundy or whoever that Yahoo jerk off is down in Nevada selling a desert book now shows you everything you need to know. The church is not on the cusp of a reform. And I would invite, um, I was talking to a friend who said, I'm wrong. The church has lots of pressure. Go study the Edmunds Tucker Act and see what happened to the church prior to polygamy. All the 12 had to go underground. They were, they were, for years, they were refugees. They, there was a Mormon underground. The federal government started seizing Mormon property. The federalities were here arresting people all the time. That did not break the back of the church. And the social pressure they're under today will not break the back of the church. It's going to be here for a long fucking time. It's going to become more and more socially irrelevant. Has the last, um, shaker died, died yet? Did anybody know? The last I checked, there were three of them alive. There were three women. Fucking rich. And the one of the problems is, you know, people say, oh, the church is going to collapse. If, if the church keeps its spending up, it will. But if it starts to contract its spending, as it gets fewer and fewer people, they will disproportionately become more and more wealthy. They, they already control a whole lot of stuff. So my only point here on this sort of rant is the success or lack of success, the staying power of the church is not really a function of the truth of, of its, of its claims. And that's easy to see once you take a step back of world history. Every great civilization has some sort of religious component baked into it. But nobody looks at the rise and fall of nations as a function of the truthiness of their particular religion at the time. It's a, it's a, it's a coalescing power. And the idea that somehow this religion um, will just bow under these, these um, liberal ideals when we see Congress and, and other elements of American culture going to the right – when we see these elements that, that, that are, that are there, that they embrace these sort of backwards ideas, right? Um, so that's not the success or lack of success of the church is not a true measure. The true measure is how it stacks up to ethics and values that we accept. 
and and that th- those key ones that I gave in the beginning, especially, are I I think are the death knoll, and that um, the way the church treats women and and anybody who's not white and anybody who's not from America is all you need to know about the church. Well, that's it. The church is not true. You know, <laughs> you know. Um, okay, so in the past, you know, 10 years or so, it's, well, I, I, I lost, um, I struggled a lot with my testimony on my mission. And then I came back and went to college and went back to BYU and I just sort of pushed it all aside and was trying to live the, the life. And then, and then around about the time that I adopted my children is when I was struggling. But when I say struggling, Mormons would see that as me struggling against Mormonism, trying to break out. It's exactly opposite. The struggle was me struggling to make it work. The struggle was me trying to stay in. And, and, and I had an argument with um, someone who should have been close to me very recently um, about this. And she painted me in a terrible, terrible way. But what she doesn't realize is the reason that I, I can say I lost my faith in 2002, but I didn't stop going to church till 2005, is I tried every possible way I could think of to make it work. I tried to ignore so many things. The last few years of my, of my membership, I quit reading the scriptures. Because I would stumble on everything, something so many times that, that it, would, it would make me question. I didn't want to question. I stopped praying for the same reason. Because I wanted it to be true. I wanted to believe so badly. And even after I lost my faith in God, um, I wore my garments for another two years, three years, until they wouldn't sell them to me anymore. Because I didn't have a current temple recommend. Um, they, um, I, I tried. I, took, I hauled my children to a church that I did not believe was true. And... That struggle was powerful, and it is difficult um, because I accepted it. I believed the church, and, or, and I, I believed it on planes that went outside of sort of the logic even I've used tonight. It's, it, was, it was a matter of identity, and it was a matter of acceptance, and I was very slow to do anything that, that the church um, taught was not, not appropriate. It was probably another year after I quit wearing my garments before I even tasted alcohol. Um, and, and because there's this perception that, that, that people just, just are just dying to get out of the church. Don't get me wrong. Most people leave the church are that way. <laughs> the church has always had a huge exit rate, but those aren't the, the people who listen to this podcast and they're, they're not me and they're not generally who I'm talking to. They're, they're, they're fantastic people, but that's not, that's not who this message is for. Um, but if you take this list and give it to some member of the church and you edit out all the F words, <laughs> it won't do any good. It won't change anything. You can't talk anybody out of the church that, that there has to be, I've said before, I'll say in a two part mechanism to deconversion, you have to intellectually not believe the church is true. And emotionally you have to be disconnected from the church if you only have one of those, like you're emotionally connected to the church, but you don't believe it, you'll go to church and you'll listen to John DeLynn's podcast and you'll be fucking miserable for the rest of your life. <laughs> if you, if you, if you um, 
<laughs> if you believe it, but you're 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 emotionally disconnected, you know yeah, that's that's where I was. It's terrible. It's boring. It's 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 awful. Um, and if you have both of them, you're 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 ha- you're like I don't know what the problem is. I believe this. This makes my life happy, and and it does for some people. It really works. There are people that I know, friends of mine who've been out of the church who really need to get back to church because they're, they're making a fucking mess of their lives. And um, there are people who need structure. We all need structure sometimes. We all need a boss. And there are people who just do not make good choices. <laughs> um, and I don't know the solution to that problem. So I have talked the issue of the church to death. And I told you at the beginning, there's a thousand more things to talk about. I've just lost my gas for, for tearing the church apart. Um, but the reason that I have tried to do what I'm trying to do, what I still work at slowly, because I have a day job and I, I'm a single father and I have kids. So people who work with me can sometimes complain that nothing happens very quickly, but that's because I'm doing this in little t- slices of time. But I'm trying to repent. I'm trying to repent for the time that I was part of this terrible machine. And I'm trying to figure out a way to make the world better. In the end, human beings can only do two things. We consume and we produce. And God, I love consumption. It's wonderful. Um, Hedonism is delightful. But in the end, it's billions of years. And we're here for just a speck of time in this amazing universe. I've been reading again um, um, the Bill Bryson's book, uh, A Short History of Everything, which is, a, which is a great book. It's very much like Cosmos, if you've seen the, the – came out earlier this year with Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about sort of science and the history of science and, and how, how we arrive at things. We're part of this, this, this big, crazy, fucked up thing that's going on. And we are not going to be here very long. You're all going to die. And then thousands of years will go by. And so you can just take the one prong and just say, life is short. It's, it's reasonable hedonism. You know, I'm going to be as hedonistic as I can that doesn't make me feel terrible, that doesn't hurt people around me, that I can still keep my day job, and I'm going to enjoy life as much as I can. It's a reasonable response to this universe. Or you can try to be part of this wonderful narrative of, of, of fantastically terrible things that have happened that are counterbalanced by amazing things that humankind has been able to do. So you can ask yourself when you, when you go out, now that you know the church is not true, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to try to build? And for me, this was about processing, um, and I thought it was interesting. And then I found out that it helped a lot of people, a lot of people. And that, that compelled on. But it no longer speaks to me um, um, on, a, on a basis that I can sit in this chair. But it speaks to me on a basis that I'll make sure this chair stays here and that somebody else comes in here and can share their view. And there's been I'm, – I'm, I want to count. There's been th- three or 400 people who have appeared on the podcast. And, and there's so many interesting voices out there. But what my challenge to all of you is, is you can make a difference in this world, but it's not easy. 
And sometimes you're fighting against big forces of people who do think they're making a big difference. Those guys in Salt Lake think that they're doing wonderful things. And um, they think that we're terrible. And it's against that tide that we, we have to fight, right? That now that you know, what was it that, what was it that Jesus said to um, Peter? Now that you're converted, go and save your brethren or something like that. I, my scriptural knowledge is, is, is waxing or waning, waning. <laughs> Sorry. But I say the same thing to all of you. Now that you know, now that you're out, what are you going to do with it? And, and that could be anything. There's a, there's, there's a thousand, there's 10,000 streams going through our culture of that will survive you. Um, and I, I don't know if it was Sagan or whoever said, you know, one of the joys of, of mankind is that we can work on things that, that – and we have the capacity and the intelligence to work on things that will survive us. That, that knowing that you're going to die and that's it, you can participate in your own way to make this world a better place and to see where it's going to go next. And I think that's a, that's a, a wonderful thing. It doesn't it – doesn't, well, I won't say that. I was going to make a crude sexual reference, but I'll, I'll pass. Um, so the church, the church is not true. We all know it now. Now go and do something with that. Um, anything. It's the, the world's wide open, right? All right. Well, that's all I have to say tonight. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. The Mormon Expression Podcast is recorded live before a studio audience in Salt Lake City on Tuesday nights at 6.30. Come down and join the audience, take part in the podcast, and meet John and the panelists. The Mormon Expression Podcast is produced by the Whitefields Educational Foundation. Visit us online at whitefieldseducational.org to find out about our counseling services and other special events.